As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome to the latest edition of Here That Podcast. Growlin, Paul Inner Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you. Uh, believe it or not, we're almost there, though. Like, th- this is the end The end of the uh, the death march, as, as it was discussed on, on Sunday night. Is, is It's within sight. I mean, there's, there's, there's a couple of pretty, uh, pretty nasty obstacles uh, that they have to get over on the way out. But, uh, you know, the, the trek... You can see the oasis off in the distance at this point. Yeah, I'm pretty damn euphoric right now, and it has nothing to do with <laughs> with, wow. see, with seeing the uh, the end of the the season in the distance. The oasis um, that that Monday night game was something else. That was yeah. I, I haven't had that much fun watching a game in a long time, and and part of it was the game itself, um, which surely the Bengals and Steelers will live up to next week. Um, but <laughs> could you imagine trying to sell Bengals Steelers during that? They oh didn't. My God. They hardly yeah. promoted that game. Normally, Good it's a them. nonstop promo throughout the game, and they they barely mentioned it last night, which Good makes sense. But I know it's like home movies; not a lot of people care. But I went into last night's game needing basically a miracle from Baker Mayfield and Justin Tucker. I went into the fourth quarter still needing a miracle, and it happened. And um, it's a league I run. It's a league that's been going since 1992, and I beat my longest and oldest friend. So I'm just I'm in a great mood this morning. <laughs> you know, honestly, it's just the poop jokes for me. Like it was just <laughs> Twitter's Twitter's poo jokes on the Lamar Jackson butt clench run uh, to the locker room and not coming out, and then showing up on fourth down and just you know, I what I enjoyed most was uh, there's just uh, so many quotes and memes but my favorite one it was a guy who's Jos- Josiah Johnson who's incredible and, and super hilarious on Twitter and it's this it's the scene from Friday where Smokey's in the bushes going to the bathroom and the guy catches him uh and his ESPN quote Lamar Jackson has cramps NFL Twitter yo Smokey over here taking a shit <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> one of my favorite scenes from that movie, which is hilarious, and it was just perfectly timed. I hadn't seen it in a long time, and I was, I was, it made me fall off the couch laughing. And really, there were so many of those as the night went along. And then Lamar is just amazing. I mean, it's. I hope people watch. I was actually kind of wanting to go read. Uh, a lot of you know Jeff Zrebeck and mm-hmm. Baltimore and our guy Zach Jackson and Jason Lloyd and all the the team in Cleveland, just the stuff they have. And Bengals fans, I, I ask you to go do that. Subscribe to the Athletic. I hope you, you know and, and go do that because go see what it looks and feels like for a second to feel an emotion other than anger after a football game, and like so it can make you happy. Like it's sports are supposed to make you happy in some way, shape, or form, and I hope people can go read some of what other fan bases are feeling or what it looks like when you watch an enjoyable game with your team. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Bengals-Browns 2 at Paul Brown Stadium. Had a lot of similar feels, scoring too quick, uh, the the shootout in the fourth quarter, Baker Mayfield. I mean, there was a lot of similarities to that game. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a lot of skipping and glee in Cleveland this morning. I think I think their emotions are probably the similar to a lot of Bengals ones. I, I do think that they they understand that they're they're close now and they they are a real team. Um, but still, that 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 had to have been a gutting loss in Cleveland because you, you're, they're talking division title possibly with the way the Steelers are are falling apart. And that 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 game last night really kind of changed the trajectory of of where both those franchises appeared to be heading in 2020. Yeah, I I think, you know, I know that, and Kevin Stefanski's done a good job playing the no moral victories thing, which is kind of the point of his post game. a lot of what Zach wrote about. But, I mean, that to me was, I mean, they didn't have as much on the line. Baltimore had a ton on the line. I mean, they, they really needed that game in every way, shape, and form. And the Browns had the national stage, and I just thought they represented themselves really well and they look like a team that looks dangerous in the playoffs you know I mean their their defense is, is an issue but I mean you know they look like a team that looks dangerous and can win games and Baker Mayfield look great and that's really important and so I, I just you know for, from an AFC North perspective man like you know it's tough these are these are teams that are going to continue to be good the Steelers are going nowhere the Browns are going nowhere the Ravens are going nowhere People would say the Bengals are going nowhere. <laughs> they're all they're all going to be good, and and it makes the challenge in front of this team exponentially harder as they go forward. And and you know it's like it it illuminates how far away the Bengals are because it's like that is the level that they have to compete at just to get to third place. <laughs> <laughs> they're so far removed from that. Um, you know, we've seen them. We saw them even with Joe Burrow get beat up by the Steelers, get beat up by the Ravens, get beat up by Balt by the the Browns. Even though they had the second game where they were closer, but it's just a it's a it's a it's a gigantic canyon right now uh, between them and those other three teams. And and you know, I don't know if there's an off season's worth that can get you back up there. Yeah, you just sparked something in me. I'm going to have to look up now what the the biggest gap is between fourth and third place in AFC North history. Because this could be it this year. I know the Browns went zero and sixteen, um, but I, I thought, I don't think the Bengals were too far off from them. I can't remember which year that was. Was that seventeen? Yeah, they probably so were they, seven and nine. Would yeah, after six, six nine and one. That's a pretty big like gap. That. Yeah, but still, I mean, that's a pretty big gap right now. Yes, so, it is. Um, yeah, that's a good, that's a good one to look at. We, we I, I want to, um, we're gonna get to, um. 
doing something that we haven't done as much of, and that is focusing on the defense. You know, with Burrow and so many things with the offense and the head coach who's the offensive guy and the line, we spend an inordinate amount of time on the offense this year. And I and I think in a lot of ways, um, we overlook some of the defense. And they have kind of come into I, – I think there are very interesting dynamics happening there right now, uh, in particular with – how they've played lately, why they've maybe played better lately, should that matter, the future of the defensive coordinator, the future of the core pieces of the defense, and one in particular, you know, who is having an outstanding year. And, you know, what we've talked about, but we've never really dove deep into, and I want to do that today. So we're going to talk defense a lot today about where this defense is, where it's going, who will be leading it, who will be on on the field and off. Um, So we're going to dive into that. Uh, we've got to run past boot for you on that, of course. We mentioned the Bengals' growler bet uh, on Sunday. Uh, so close. No winners. So uh, we will have to we'll come up, have to go with a big one for the Monday night game to keep everybody interested. So that will be coming on Thursday. Of course, we'll have Mark Caboli from Pittsburgh coming and joining us, uh, where the sky is falling at 11-2. and two. C- Come see this sky. <laughs> All right, Mark. Come see the sky that we live under. All right, on this podcast. Meanwhile, eleven and two, and all hell is broken loose in Pittsburgh. Um, I look forward to talking talking to him. Uh, real quick, before we move on, I do want to remind everybody we have the buy one gift one going on right now. So, buy a subscription to the Athletic, you can gift one for free. Uh, you know, you get four hundred. We had we put out actually. If you want to get a sampling of that, we have our best of the Athletic. The best from the entire year stories are up there, unlocked and free in case you're not a subscriber. You can get a taste of what you can get. I mean, just incredible stuff. You just go to this, go to the site, theathletic.com, uh, and the best of 2020 landing page. We, it's crazy when you see these numbers. I always used to feel like this at the end of the year when I was not, – not that we don't grind hard, but when you're like the deep beat guy – <laughs> like for a team, the amount of content that you push out, particularly, you know, I, at the Inquirer was like this, where it was just there was a demand for more constant churning and, and less of the, the you know, the time. So it takes more time and in depth. I would always just be hurt when I would look at the number of words and stories I published over the course of a year. <laughs> you see the numbers, I mean, on how many stories, you know, 50,000 stories, 10,000 podcasts on The Amazing. Athletic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what and that you get that for, well, you know, a couple bucks a month, a cup of coffee a month. It's, it's, it's incredible. I highly recommend people taking advantage of that deal. We have news, though, a bit of news. Um, and that is in regards to we have heard from Joe Burrow's surgeon and Dr. Neil Elatrosh uh, in Los Angeles, where Joe Burrow is still out uh, rehabbing. And he talked to the Adam Schefter podcast on, it came out yesterday, came out on Monday. And now Dr. Neil Elatrosh is surgeon to the stars. This year he's done Nick Bosa, he's done Saquon Barkley, he's done... Burrow now in the past, he did Roethlisberger's elbow. Uh, he did Tom Brady's knee. I mean, he's you name it. He, he's, he does everything. He, Kobe, you name it. He's done all these guys. Uh, so the latest, you know, Adam Schefter has him on and is talking. I'm just going to read you uh, something off the pie. You know, I great on him having that guest. 
And uh, if you want to go hear more from him, I highly recommend going listen to it. Here's the portion about Burrow that you're probably most interested in. Um, it, it, the question was essentially about, in particular, the names used were Bosa, Barkley, uh, and Burrow. And those three guys and their rehabs and what it's been. And here um, was what he had to say about those kind of little more in generalities, but those were the names used about how they've their progress has been really good. He said, no one in my field spikes the ball at this point. What we are looking for are they meeting the milestones and points they need to meet. For whatever reason, the injuries this year have been complex. There have been a few regular normal ACL tears. It's always combined with something else this year. 2020 has been an odd year to begin with, but this is the way it has been. These guys are doing exceedingly well right now. It's early on. I expect the guys we have taken care of with the knee injuries at this point in the year still would be on track for the beginning of the season next year. That is from Dr. Neil Elitrash, who just did the surgery on Joe Burrow. He continued, we'll see how it goes with regard to their rehab and return to play. The last big step that they make on their own, that's the return to performance. They need to compete at that level. That will take place toward the end of the summer. Adam kind of followed up about Burrow. So, well, you know, he was later in the year and looked pretty bad. What about Burrow? And, and you know, the doctor didn't necessarily go into super specifics about every single piece of ligament he saw inside Joe Burrow's knee, but he said this. He's only maybe a week out from surgery. You say he's on track. There's just a few criteria you look for. What I can say is everything that has come our way this year, even though they have been complex, I'm extremely happy with what we've been able to do. We fixed it in a way I'm confident they will be able to play again. There are some things that, quite frankly, come into that office that certain types of tissue damage you can't hope to make it normal again. We've been very fortunate with these guys this year that we've been able to accomplish everything we would hope. That's the first big thing. And you're coming out of the operating room doing what you hoped you would be able to do and not seeing a surprising amount of damage and something you can't fix. We've been fortunate with that. I'm really optimistic with the guys we have taken care of to date. That is a good mood to hear and good news to hear for Bengals fans from the guy who was just inside of Joe Burrow's knee a little over a week ago. Yeah, and it's um, we we roll our eyes all the time when when coaches and players say you know taking it game by game, day by day, one day at a time. It, that that cliche. I mean, anyone that's rehabbed an injury, whether you're an elite athlete or not, you know that's all you can do, and that's it. it all that matters is right now, today how things stand and it, it can be bad, but it, if it's good, it doesn't mean it's going to stay good, but that's all you can hope for is that, that everything is on track where they expect it to be They're They've done enough of the, everybody, everybody's different, but they've done enough of these to know what the parameters are and what the timelines are. And that's all you can hope for is that everything looks good and on pace. That doesn't mean there's not going to be setbacks along the way, but it's, it's like anything else. You you just you can't look too far ahead. You have to say, what do things look like right now? And if, if the news is good right now, then you just have to be happy with it and, and say, you know, keep your fingers crossed that it stays that way and that we do see Joe Burrow back for, for week one next year. Yeah. I mean, to me, the biggest thing with this when it happened was it looked ugly. The thoughts mm-hmm. was 
it could be worse than your normal thing. And we talked to the doctors. You heard from the doctors a couple of weeks ago on this show. And they talked about, yeah, the biggest thing is cartilage damage, extra cartilage damage. That's what causes longer recoveries. That's what causes things that are beyond the normal. Not necessarily extra ligaments. The extra ligaments actually are about end up the recovery process is, is similar. The biggest thing you worry about is is what Dr. Neil Atrosh right there was kind of referring to that there wasn't, was that that type of stuff, the extra things that you don't expect that has too extra cartilage damage in there and it looks worse. The fact that he is saying that they were fortunate with this stuff, that there was not that and they got done what they needed to get done to me and again, you're right, there's a long way to go, Is was the biggest hurdle in this because then it becomes more normal ACL recovery, which we've seen a million times. You know, it becomes ACL knee recovery. And he goes in with the, the bunch like everybody else that we've seen come back from these on a very normal timeline. And that normal timeline, like the doctor just said, would be the beginning of next season. And if you're a Bengal fan, isn't that all that matters? <laughs> like yeah. you would, you would love that he never got hurt. You would love that he'd have an off season, whatever that's going to look like. You'd love all those things. But it, it, in regards to where we're at, isn't that all that matters? It's Joe Burrow giving you all sixteen next year, and maybe even a little bit of you know training camp, to, you know, to to while he practices to make sure he's good. To me, that's what matters, and I think this is one of the biggest things you can hear in regards to thinking that that's going to happen. Yeah, and you, you want the the biggest thing that I wonder about with Joe is is w- will he be his own worst enemy? Because we know how driven and competitive that guy is, and I mean, it's I think it's gonna be hard for him to listen to doctors that are trying to rein him in and hold him back and saying you have to follow this schedule. We see it in the way he plays, where he he goes off script and tries to do uh, too much at times. I think that's gonna be a really uh, important part of this this recovery and. Uh, you know, maybe in his growth as a as a player, um, to to trust the process and to just you you can you can be aggressive in your rehab, but you you can't freelance. And uh, I, I think that is going to be something that that maybe all the all players that go through this battle, um, the the mental fatigue of rehab, they all talk about how hard it is. And um, I, I I think with it almost feels like with Joe, it's going to be the opposite where it's, it's, it, there's not going to be, it's going to be not enough. He's going to want more and more and more. And it's just this, like you said, this is a great first step and we'll be, we'll continue monitoring this as it goes along. Yep. And, you know, we, we talked a, a couple weeks ago about Nick Cosgray, who has a, mm-hmm. a great track record uh, with this. We, you know, Giovanni Bernard has spoke his praises when I asked him about his rehab from ACL a few years back. And lots of players have talked about um, how great that has been. Right now, Burrow's just doing the standard recovery in Los Angeles, hanging out. Happy birthday to Joe Burrow, by the way, who had a birthday this past weekend and spent it watching video of a game he's not going to play in preparation <laughs> for a game he's not going to play. And that tells you a little bit about who that guy is. All right, before we pivot in a new direction, let's take a quick break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
for once, right? I think Bengals fans listen to this podcast like, oh, they're going to talk about the defense? <laughs> did they, did they, is there even, are they allowed to do that? Was there something in the contract that you could only talk about defense for 15% of any one podcast? Um, so let's, let's, let's dive in a little bit. Here's, I, I find the group fairly fascinating right now in that they have really, this has been a roller coaster year for that side of the ball. They have had some moments, some some stretches, where they have looked like the only thing holding the team together a little bit, you know, and, and keeping them in games early in the season. And then they have had stretches where they have been absolutely abysmal. Um, and the reason they lost a, a string of huge games, particularly in the middle of that the season when the offense picked up, and. Now they're they've maybe stabilized a little bit and and you know they've had a decent run. I'll let's let's start here. Um, what do you I mean? What do you make of this group? Because he, when we people talk about the last four weeks, I'll point out. I mean, this is what happens when you play lesser opponents. I, I you know, the, you look at the offensive DVOA. Of their last four opponents, Washington 28th, the Giants 26th, Miami 19th, Dallas 25th. All of them, you saw some version of backup quarterback. <laughs> All of four. I mean, Washington, you saw you know Alex Smith out there. The Giants, Colt McCoy for a portion. Miami, whatever two is, he's a rookie and wasn't the start of the beginning of the year. Dallas, Andy Dalton. You know. I'm all about giving credit, and I'm all about like, look, you make plays, you don't make plays. This was not shutting down the greatest show on turf. This is allowing 20 points to a bunch of backup quarterbacks on offenses that already weren't very good. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it, they're not. Some of these aren't the true backup court. I mean, they're not. It's not equivalent with Brandon Allen. Um, a part of it too is. The we talk about complementary football. I, I think it's complementary game planning where they opposing teams know they don't have to fear this Bengals offense, and so they they maybe don't take chances on defense, and and they they can tailor their game plan to you know take advantage uh, or give the offense the best chance to carry the game with a minimal amount of points, and and so I, I think that is. That's part of why we're seeing teams not score a lot right now. Um, I, I I really don't know what to make of this defense because of what you said. Where there have been times when they've looked really good, there's been times when they've they've looked lost. Um, when when even half of the performances they put in over the last month would have won some of these games. Um, I just I, I think there's change coming on this defense. the The biggest issue to me is. It, it's been ongoing. They just cannot force turnovers for whatever reason. Dropped interceptions. They don't force a lot of fumbles to begin with. That, that's been that's been an issue for a long time. So there's not a lot of fumble recoveries. But it's it, it feels like if if they could just get a few more turnovers, th this defense would look considerably different. But it's just for whatever reason they cannot they cannot take the ball away. And we we saw it again. Sunday with Jesse Bates has an interception right in his hands and he he drops it and he was he was hard on himself um, on, on the zoom call yesterday but those are the kind of plays those are they may be not game winning plays but they can be game changing plays and they're they're just not happening 
They're not. Um, and, and so you get to the excuse caboose, right? Is going to roll through here. And we're going to talk about why. And they have no pass rush. <laughs> they have nobody outside of Carl Lawson every week. You know, Sam Hubbard gives you some a little bit. But he's more of a he's more of a three down solid edge guy that that pushes inside and passing downs. Like he's great stopping the run. He can give you a pass rush. He's he's a solid all around try hard. He will he would start at edge doing two to three downs for almost probably almost every team in the league. He's he, he I have no problem with Sam Hubbard. But as far as pass rush goes, true go get him. Like it, it's the same. This and and Sunday was the same way. The Bengals got twelve overall pressures. Carl Lawson had six, and nobody else had more than one. It's it's the same thing over and over again. There's just nobody else bringing it. Now, whose fault is that? Well, they ran off one of their best pass rushers, and Geno Atkins. Whatever's going on there is you know ha- hasn't turned into anything. Do they? Is that DJ Reader gets hurt? He's not a pass rush guy. I mean, you, at a certain point, like you gotta figure it out and find other ways to be good. And we now have, for whatever reason, you know, it, you can tell me it's a hundred percent the players all you want to, but I'm only gonna say Bengals DVOA last year defense thirtieth, DVO this year 29th. Baby steps. That's two years. That's two years on tape of here's your guys that you have. Find a way to go stop their guys. And you were in the bottom three, bottom four, both years in the whole league. That's a tough. That's a tough one to sell. It's just, it's a tough one to sell going forward. Yeah, and you talk the excuse caboose. I mean, that there is something to that. The fact that they they have been decimated by injuries, but coaches say it all the time, players say it all the time that, that nobody's going to feel sorry for you. You still got to go out there and and perform and and do what you can with what you got. And they just they haven't done it. Lou Lou has not been able to get it out of them this year. And one one thing you talk about the pass rush, one thing that kind of personifies where they are in pass rush, Jordan Evans is second on this team in sacks, two. He's played 30, 33 snaps all year. And he's the <laughs> second leading sacker on the team. I mean, Sam Hubbard only has one. He missed a few games, but still one sack at this point in the season. I, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Uh, it is. It's it's the, the lack of a pass rush, the lack of turnovers, um, and – really kind of a, a lack of identity. I mean, wh- what what do you think this defense is when you think of this Bengals defense? It's almost it's almost more chameleon-like. Where I, And I know you need to do that. You need to kind of tailor the game plan to, to who you're playing. But you, you really – it just doesn't seem like you know what you're going to get week to week with this team. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, there's, there's some other numbers that I want to – touch on a little bit deeper that are also really important and maybe better than the general DVOA or certainly better than points scored and things like that. It's when you get into true efficiency, they're not as bad, but they're still bad. And so it's, let's look at points per drive. Very important metric. Look, every time the other team has the ball, how many points do they on average, do they score on you? Bengals rank 19th in the league in that stat. Um, 
with 32 obviously being the being the worst, giving up the most. And so 19th points in points per drive, 23rd in yards per attempt allowed, which is a huge indicator of success, uh, passing yards per attempt. Um, 24th overall in scoring drive efficiency and how many of the drives that other teams have, they allow scores. 22nd in third slash fourth down success percentage, so getting stops on third or fourth down, getting off the field. Uh, and they're 24th in total red zone drives allowed. Not a single number that we have mentioned even comes near the top half of the league. Is that good enough? You know, is is that is it fair to say? Oh well, look, you need we needed pass rushers, and, or do you say, look, they got some of these are almost near the middle of the pack with not a single with only one pass rusher on your entire team. Maybe you say that. I, I don't. It's it's easy to make those excuses. I I don't. I just look at what you have, and you have two years of this, and nothing near the top. And and we want to we want to you know you see moments where you see some guys making plays. You have some development. You have hope. You had stretches of that where you there was reason to believe, but then at the end of the day, there really there hasn't been enough to sustain. It's taken. It's either taken too long for them to figure it out which was the case last year as they had the new staff and new players and took them way too long to figure out what, who, what worked and why I did. And, and similarly this year, you know, it's taken them too long to figure out how to deal with certain injuries that they've had and, and it's cost them. And they're not very good against the pass. End of quarters, end of half, end of game. Games where they're up and the other team is throwing to come back, you know? Um, they haven't been able to to do it. Now they don't have Trey Wayne's. So we're going to talk about that, I guess. But again, there's lots. To, Jerry Jones after the game said, "You know what? I was proud we were out there with our practice squad corners. They did a good job holding the Bengals, <laughs> holding the Bengals to seven points." Yeah, everybody's out there with something in the year of in the year of COVID and injuries. Like everybody's out there with some form of practice squad player or fourth string guy somewhere. It's a matter of getting it done. And you know these are these are the numbers. This is this is what who you are. Yeah, it is who you are, and it, but part of it too is you're you're coming off a two and fourteen season. You you know the the, the build takes a while, and the, the reason the build takes a while is because you've got to you've got to improve that depth. They knew that the, the this depth chart was paper thin coming into this year, and the last thing they could have was injuries, and they had them. Um, yes, everybody has them, but but some people are – other teams are starting in a better position than this team was uh, this year. They just – I mean, the, to, to get five games out of DJ Reader and none out of Trey Waynes, um, the guys that you spent huge money for in the offseason, that it, – it's it's an excuse. Um, I Is it – it's a valid excuse. But, again, nobody wants to hear it, and I, I think there's, there's going to be repercussions – uh, from this, and it's just gonna it's gonna be interesting to see what this this defense looks like next year. Not just players in positions, but but coach it, what the assistant coaching staff is gonna look like on this defense. Because I do think you you can make an argument for bringing Zach back and keeping that continuity and all that, but but I there's no way you can sell. Um, this this defensive staff coming back uh, the way it's constructed right now. 
Yeah, I would agree. I, I don't see a path to to Lou being back. Mm-mm. I don't see it. I, I, I if 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 you retur- if you bring Zach Taylor back, somebody's got to be the fall guy for that. You have a defense that has been in the bottom, depending on what metrics you care about, in the bottom half to bottom three in the league for two years now. You know, you had the confrontations with some of your best players, issues. You know, Sean Williams is mad. Uh, Carlos Dunlap run out of town. I mean, these are guys that ownership cares about and likes and develop relationships with and has seen them succeed with in the past. That's not going to sit well. You know, you have it, you have everything that has gone on. And depend, it, it may be unfair. You may think that's unfair with it, and they don't have the, the talent. Or this, it's that's not what this is about. This, you are responsible for taking the guys in front of you and getting them to play, and you haven't. So, if, if Zach Taylor comes back, someone's going to be the fall guy for that. You're going to have to find some sort of reason to believe in defense, and that's going to have to come from a new coordinator, whether it's a big name or an up and coming. You're in a better position to hire a quality defensive coordinator going forward um, than you certainly than you were when you got Luana Rumo. Um, you know, I think there's a lot that you can sell there and maybe have to believe in there. Um, so, and then the staff that goes with it. Or, or you know, the Bengals do go against the grain of, of what they are, and they, they blow out the whole staff. And then everybody, you know, then you know. You know that the coordinators outside of Darren Simmons uh, would, would, would be gone um, along with the top-level staff. And then you start evaluating position coaches and see who stays and who goes. So, you know, that leaves me not really seeing a path. Like, you know, shrapnel, he, victim of 210-1, you're victim of your, yourself and your own defense. But, you know, maybe there are reasons. If they would have found ways to win games, you know, if they if they pull out a couple of those in the middle of the season and then Burrow gets hurt and, you can, and the defense kind of plays well, enough you could you could carve out that path you could see that path um i i don't i don't see how you can sell it and i don't Mm -hmm. think that they would even try to uh, at this point i think there's you know it's going to be at the very there is no to me there's no doubt they will be hiring a new defensive coordinator in some capacity for next year yeah i mean it's a tough business You, you look at you look at the raiders john gruden and and paul gunther are very good friends that was Paul Gunther was one of the first guys that, that Gruden called when he got that job uh, and brought him in to be his defensive coordinator. And then he fires him on a short week before they play a Thursday game late in December. It's just it's a bottom line business. And I, I know Lou and Zach are tight, but there's just if 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 Zach is allowed to stick around, I whether it's his call or management's, um, it, it Lou's going to be a casualty. Yeah, I, I I would agree. So then, what do you got, right? So what are you selling? Who do you what do you who are your core pieces going forward? You know, and you, here's what we know that you have. Uh, we we know you've got Jesse Bates, right? Who has developed into the best safety in football, depending on who you're talking to. And we talked so much about the talent level on this team and just the lack of guys who are at the top five in their position, right? And you're just fighting an uphill battle. You just don't have enough of those guys, right? I think you can argue there is more there, right? Jesse Bates is a is at the, is definitely a top five safety in the league. I'll give you that. Um, 
You think DJ Reader, when healthy, is a top five nose tackle in the league? Um, so you've got a couple pieces there. You you like what you're seeing from the young linebacker group? Um, enough, probably. They're not a total liability anymore, which is a massive improvement, and they're young. So then theoretically, you'll think they'll get better. You expect to get more out of Keem Davis, Gaither, and Logan Wilson next year. Maybe you start getting more out of Pratt, who's kind of been just a guy this year. Um, but as far as under contract, I mean, it's not like there's a, a ton of guys out there that are currently under contract. Well, there, there's seven starters that you expect to be back next year because they are under contract. Um, I don't know what to think about Von Bell this year. He's he's played well at times, but he's he's been a liability in coverage at times. Um, but they're not moving on from him. They're paying him too much. It's a three-year deal. He's back. They uh, like him. Yeah. Um, Trey Waynes, we haven't seen him yet, but you know, three-year deal. He, he's going to be part of this team moving forward. You mentioned the, the linebackers with Logan Wilson, uh, Jermaine Pratt still under contract, Reeder, um, and then Sam Hubbard. And then after that, there, you know, Darius Phillips. Do, do they keep William Jackson? He's not under contract. Does he move on? Um, what happens with Carl Lawson? He, he's he's this is last year his contract. Um, I, I do think we're going to see. It's not just the coaching staff. I, I do think we're going to see a decent amount of turnover on that defensive side of the ball, in terms of starters at least. All right, let's stop here for a second and hear from a sponsor. Let's do run passer boot style because that's how we go, how we roll around here. Let's say run passer boot number of starters on defense next year that are currently on the Bengals roster. So let's say because you named the seven that are under contract, and I guess we'll maybe under the assumption those all all those guys will be starters. I think that's a fair assumption. Maybe not though. We can, you could differ on that. Maybe maybe there won't be. So let's say. Ru- 10 or 11, 7 to 9, or 6 or fewer? Uh, I'm going to run with 7 to 9. Um, I mean, Bengal fans better hope it's not 10 to 11. Um, but I'll, I'll pass on 10 to 11. And I'm going to boot 6 or fewer just because there are 7 under contract. And I, you know, I, I can't see who would be supplanted by either a rookie or a free agent signing out of that group. Now, maybe there's injuries again in, in the preseason, and, and that comes into play. But as they construct the team in the spring and that depth chart comes into focus after the draft and after free agency, um, I'll, I'll run with seven to nine and, and pass on 10 or 11 and, and boot six or fewer. I'll also run on seven to nine. I think that's, I think that's probably fair. I'm going to pass on six or fewer. Uh, and boot 10 to 11. I, I think when you talk about the, a new coordinator being a part of things, there's a new philosophy. There's new opinions. There is guys you're familiar with that you know know your system wherever you were that maybe you bring in and acquire and maybe supplant somebody uh, that is that was mentioned there, whether it's at linebacker or whether it's it's line. I mean, it, you, you, don't, you don't know. I mean, maybe – Maybe, maybe not, but I feel like that, to me, that brings that into play. Whereas the idea of a, a new coordinator coming in and being like, let's, let's run it back, right? Like, I just, I don't know that I see that. And particular when you have free agents and Lawson and Jackson and Alexander, um, and then whatever's going to happen with Gino. 
And so I, I, I think I, I think that you would have somebody more willing and wanting to bring in some of their own guys that know their system that could come and add in and potentially supplant somebody, uh, maybe even on a cheaper deal uh, than, and potentially a high pick than you would um, you know, the opposite direction. So if we're picking the opposite direction, I, I'll say that. But it's tough. I mean, you know, when you talk about – I think you, you, can, you can really build – Depending on on if you're bringing back one, I think you just you got to f- bring back either Lawson or Jackson. Try to mm-hmm. hope that you can one of those two. One, I, I I have a hard time seeing both coming back. You build around you bring one of those two guys back in some kind of role. I think you can have that. You know if and then you have Bates. Bates and Bell I think are a solid combo. Bates is great. Bell does his thing great. What Bell does, he does really well. In the box, making plays, being a leader, tackling. Is he a liability in coverage? Yeah, at times. But, you know, when you have Bates back there, you know, you're playing a lot where Bates is covering people's asses. And I think that that, that helps you offset a little bit. You know, and, and I I like Hubbard as a player. I like Reader as a player. Um, I, so I, I think that there is a lot to build around and you just, you just need to add more pass rush. You just need to find a way to add more pass rush. You do that, and I think with with guys getting back healthy, things can look a lot different and a lot more dynamic. Yeah, an interesting thing that you, you mentioned about the the way they could go at defensive coordinator, and I hate to – it feels like we're digging Lou's grave while he's still b- breathing, but it, the writing's on the wall. But if they go up-and-comer, I wonder how many – guys get their first coordinator gig with a with a different team you know as as it they're a position coach on one team and then they became become a coordinator elsewhere i don't think that happens a whole lot it, more than likely you're going to promote somebody from within from position group to coordinator i don't you know outside of al golden uh, i don't really see anyone on this staff where that that happens so then then you start thinking okay then what established coordinators would would be coming in here uh, someone that that's done the job before has a relationship with zach um i mean what what do you think is more likely do you think that they they have they bring in a guy that's got coordinator experience or they they promote someone either from their own roster or a different team to be a first-time coordinator it, it's a tough. I, I would think that they would probably be looking for someone with a little bit more skins on the wall and a little bit more proven. You know, Lou was unproven. I mean, mm-hmm. he was an older guy. He's been around a long time, but he was unproven. You know, but then you know, like uh, one very noticeable guy that you'll point to is Robert Sala, right, in yeah. in San Francisco, who is a head coaching candidate and probably, let's be honest, will probably end up being the head coach of the Detroit Lions. Um, he was a linebackers coach in Jacksonville from 2014 to 16 and then hired as defensive coordinator in San Francisco uh, in 2017 as part of the Kyle Shanahan project there. That's an example of what you're looking for if you're going to go up, up and comer. You really you really believe in a guy. you know. The issue you run into and that we've seen here so much with a lot of Zach's hires has been – they're guys that he knows. There's been relationships there, and he's just not as well connected. I mean, Marvin, 
Like, say what you want, but the dude was connected. People loved working for him. People wanted to work for him. They knew he cared. Not that Zach doesn't care about these guys' promotions, but he has a proven track record of getting guys promoted to head coach gigs, to bigger coordinator gigs, and it mattered. And for that reason, he got a lot of great coaches, right? I mean, he did. He 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 could hire, and that was part of what got him fired at the end was his coordinator hires that had been his his bread and butter over the years, whiffed miserably. Zampezi and Terrell Austin got him fired. You know, that's that's what happened because Marvin was the guy who could hire you the great coordinators because he was so respected and connected. But when that wasn't even happening anymore, then it was like, well, what are you holding on to? And with with Zach, I think he's got to prove that he can he can do that and, and be con- and someone's going to want to come work for him. You know, and people are going to see, you know, if you're a big time guy, Let's just say Wade Phillips because everyone wants to use Wade Phillips, even though he's already been discussed in, in, in Las Vegas. But let's just use it as an example of former coach skins on the wall guy, right? Are you going to want to go somewhere where Zach Taylor is on a scorching seat at the beginning of next year? <laughs> if he's the head coach, if Zach Taylor's the head coach, are you going to want to go somewhere where, I mean, you know, it could be one and done. It could be, it could be Patricia style. It could be half a season and done. You know, is that where you want to go? Um, you better believe in it. And maybe maybe you do. If you're a proven guy, you're like, look, I just need to be on a defense where I know the offense can do it. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have Joe Burrow. And I can buy that. And you're still selling. You're, if you're the Bengals, you're still selling the crap out of Joe Burrow. You're selling Joe Burrow popsicles to anybody that wants one. Out the back of the truck, baby. Because anybody that wants to be a part of this, let come let Joe Burrow take us all to the promised land. Be a part of it. Be the defensive side of this story. You know, Kyle Shanahan's offense, special, right? Be Robert Sala, who builds the top, who builds a top defense that's been partially connected by that. You know, be be that. And, and if, you, if that's what you're trying to sell, that's what you got to sell. But I, you know, it can be a hard sell when. If if you're if you have the same head coach making the hire, and then if you have a new head coach, Lord knows, you know, all bets are off, and it could be anybody that they're connect that they know, and who knows what their connections are. Another side of this, though, is there's not a lot of coordinators that don't aspire to be head coaches that are ah, I'm good here. I'm this is this is all I want to be. And if if you're an established guy, you maybe see the Bengals as a possible shortcut. Where, yes, if you come in and Zach's on a scorching hot seat, if things go south, I mean, the good chance you're the guy that's promoted. If, 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 it's, a, if it's a veteran guy that's done this for a long time, I mean, it's not going to be Brian Callahan. Um, possibly could be Darren Simmons. But I, I, I think that could, that could maybe work the other way where you, know, you, you said a, a, an established guy may not want to come here because of of Zach's situation. It, it could entice. There's, you know, not a Greg Williams type that's going to try to undermine everything and 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 steal the head coaching job. But I, I think there's there's defensive coordinator guys out there that maybe haven't been head coaches yet that would that would view this as a as a you know possible shortcut to to get that that big job. Yeah. Um. There, there's just one name I want to address. Um, 
and this is not necessarily his defensive coordinator, but this is just a name that's out there and that is obvious. And I, I just, I've kind of poked around a little bit on it this week. I want to talk about Mike Zimmer. Um, Mike Zimmer, uh, head coach of the Vikings. You know, it's weird. He just got a three-year extension before the season started back in July, but you've seen his name on the hot, in these hot seat conversations. You know, he hasn't quite gotten the Vikings over the hump. There's always seems like there's some kind of dissension there on the team. Um, but and so I, I was surprised. I was like, I'm just surprised with the extension and everything else to see Zimmer's name come up in these conversations. Like it, to me, it wouldn't even be part of it. And it sounds like it's not out of the question. Like Zimmer's probably safe. He had the run of whatever they would five and one or whatever they were in the last six that come out of that really bad stretch to start the season. They're kind of riding the ship a little bit, although they lost this past week. But you know, they have a their stretch finishing out. It's it's. It sounds like it's not in the bank that he'll be back with the Vikings. It's probably in the bank. It's more than likely. Like, I don't know what percentage would be. So let's say 85. All we know, all I know is this to bring up. If some way, shape, or form Mike Zimmer becomes available, it changes the conversation. The Bengals, you know, in that building, Mike Zimmer's always been the one that got away. He's always been revered. He is the disciplinarian, older guy, proven track record, put the defensive coach on the other side of the prodigy quarterback guy with, oh, by the way, his favorite plot of land on (laughs) earth is right there in northern Kentucky. So he would want to come here. He knows the organization. All I'm going to say is if Mike Zimmer became available, that's a thing. And keep an eye on Minnesota. I don't think that he will become available. I don't think that will be the case. But to me, he's always been the one that got away around here, and he would want to come here. He would love to come here and live at his ranch and coach a team in a, in a place that he's familiar with and understands. Um, that's, And I'm not saying anything beyond that other than, to me, that's the one thing kind of hanging out there a little bit. Uh, you talked about how much he's viewed as the one that got away inside the building. I think he is with the fan base too. I mean, I, there's that, that if you're looking for a, a coach hire that's going to rejuvenate this this fan base, um, that's that's one that would do it. The interesting thing, you know, if they what leads to his firing? If they sneak into the playoffs and then lose in the first round, then you've you've delayed it by a year. I mean, it always feels like once you get past that that first Monday, you know whether you're the coach of your team is going to be back or not. Um, I don't know. I don't know enough about what's going on in Minnesota to, to know how hot his seat actually is um, beyond what you just said. But yeah, they're six and seven right now. If, if they were to lose out, you you could see that happening. Even, I mean, they're, they're really, there's one playoff spot available for them. They're, they're two games out of the number six spot. And it, it, that would be a, they'd have to win out and have some, some calamity strike Tampa Bay. Um, so yeah, I, that that would be interesting. I hadn't thought about Zim. It, you know, it, it it would be a a win for us. That's for sure. Um, I don't know how much he's changed since he left here, but he was terrific to deal with uh, when he was here as the coordinator. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, I agree with you. I think it would it would be a it would check a huge box for the fan base too, and that's part of this. I, I think the only way he he is gone as if they finish 0-4. They lost to the Buccaneers this past weekend. They had the squeaker in overtime against the lowly Jags right before that. 
They won by one over the Panthers, who I believe were starting whoever the not Bridgewater. I be, I believe I don't remember actually. I shouldn't speak intelligently. They lost to the Cowboys. Uh, they lost to the Viking, or they 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 lost to the Cowboys, and they then they barely snuck by the Panthers and barely snuck by the Jaguars. Lose to the Buccaneers. They've got the Bears. They go to New Orleans, and then they finish at Detroit with the interim coach. Hmm. You know, so those three right there. We'll see how how it all plays out. And again, I I am not <laughs> I'm not saying Minnesota is going to fight. I'm just saying. If there was a chance that that could happen, it would change things, and it, it would probably have to take a full meltdown collapse over the last four weeks here, the last three weeks that are left, for something like, like that to be even considered in Minnesota. So, anyway, we'll we'll keep a, we'll keep an eye on that. We have we have dug too many graves today, Trey. <laughs> I, I you know what? But tis the season. Sadly, it's the season for gift giving and and speculating jobs because that's the NFL. Right. This is the NFL. This is what happens, especially when when you when you talk about coordinator. Go look, go look around the league at coordinator shelf life. Okay, it's two years, maybe three for anybody almost. And that's and it typically is connected to the head coach. But even with places with head coaches, you either do so well, you get promoted, or you do so poor, you get fired. That's the nature of coordinator positions, offensive and defensive. Special teams are different. You have more longevity there. And that's just what it is. Yeah. Like, that's what it is. And so when you talk about two years to prove yourself, it's kind of what you got from a coordinator perspective. Because also, like we've been saying earlier, they're always going to be a fall guy. They're always it's it's the one boulder before the big boulder, right? It's you can always you can stave off a year by somebody else taking the hit for you. And unfortunately, those guys know that. Um, and, and that's just part of this business. It's part of this business, and this time of year, it's what you have to talk about. It's ugly. Nobody likes talking about it, but it's part of the gig. Um, all right. Uh, do, anything else we need to get to? Or have, we, have we done enough damage for one day? Well, if we want to balance out Lou a little bit here, I, it, I, I thought this was interesting um, because he, he talked about the quick change aspect coming after turnovers, and I went back and looked you know, because they did it. They they held Dallas to a field goal after that first turnover, but you, you go back and you look that the last the last fourteen turnovers that the the Bengals or there was a stretch of fourteen turnovers where the Bengals didn't give up a touchdown. You, the defense goes right back out on the field, and it was from this doesn't count like if the game in Baltimore when Patrick Queen, Queen pick, scoops up the fumble and takes that back for a touchdown because the defense didn't have a chance to defend. But after that one, the Bengals went 14 straight turnovers without allowing the opponent to score a touchdown. Now, four of those were end-of-game situations where the, it was you know like the in Indy when Burrow threw the interception right at the end and there was nothing for the defense to defend. But in, in the other ones, I mean, they're, they're pitching three and outs on six of those. And they're holding the defense to field goals on the other four. It, it's it's impressive. Uh, it's also confusing because it's it's a mindset and an urgency and you know that that quick change when you go back out there after a turnover to really like Lou said they're the fire they're the fire department. Their job is to put out the fire. Why are they so good at that? 
but they're not good at the end of halves and the end of games. It's the same thing. It's a gotta have it situation, and they always seem to crumble in those situations. But I just I thought that was interesting. And that that streak, by the way, is no longer active. The the third fumble against the Cowboys <laughs> resulted in the exact opposite of everything I'm talking about here. It was a 15 play, 93 yard drive. Uh, where the the Bengals let the Cowboys convert four first downs, uh, include or four third downs, including a third and fourteen on that drive. But that was it. the The other ones are all four plays, nine yards, two plays, six yards, five plays, eight yards, three plays, three yards. I mean, it, it's it's amazing what they had done up until that point. If if you're looking for for one bright spot on what this defense does well, yeah. Well, you know, when you talk about end of halves, end of games, why they're not, not so good there. I don't know, no pass rush, no second corner, and a liability at safety uh, <laughs> in the past game. I mean, you know, you, 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 we hear them so much, and they built so much about stopping the run and, and all that stuff. You know, we'll perhaps a little bit more focus on stopping the pass would help make the defensive personnel be better uh, going forward. And that feels like a good place to wrap up our defensive episode. Are you happy? Are you happy? We we did we did open the defensive episode with like ten minutes of Joe Burrow talk, but sit, look, baby steps, okay, baby steps. We talked about the defense a little bit more today, which, you know what, we, we're just trying to be a little more equal opportunity. Of course, we we'll back with the Growler on Friday this week because schedules bumped back. All right, so uh, with the Monday night football game, we'll, we'll have the uh, Growler for you on Friday. Mark Caboli, potentially a couple other surprises for you, but I don't want to spoil anything before uh, before those interviews get done. So uh, keep an eye out. You're going to like the Growler, I think, on Friday as we talk about the potential to go on national television and um, play a game. <laughs> <laughs> Which nobody nobody wants anybody here in this building to be doing right now. Uh, so anyway, we'll, we'll have more on that. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We will talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody. Bye.